This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast, and today we have Kate Kritschko on the show, and uh, Kate is the shit. If you don't know who Kate is, he is a writer, an editor, uh, a professor, um, and so much more. He's a traveler and uh, just started Ori Magazine, and we talk all about that, why the world needs another print magazine right now, the benefit of it, and his career so far. Um, we kind of just have a chat, and I really enjoy these kinds of conversations. So I hope you enjoy them as well. Uh, real quick on the ads this week, Fisher Skis is a sponsor of the Out of Outs podcast. I feel like people know this by this point, but we're starting to get to the time of the year when people need deals on skis. They're thinking about next year's gear. If that is you, hit us up. Let us help you get set up in the right set of Fisher skis or boots or whatever you need from that team. They have some awesome new stuff coming out for 2023-2024, so very excited to share that with you. Very excited for people to put boots on their feet, it is going to be probably the best boot year that Fisher has ever had. So very excited for that. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how it goes going forward. If you need to get at me for any gear things, it is just Adam at outofpodcast.com. Thank you much and uh, enjoy the episode with Cade. Cade, reporting from South America. Uh, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then let's uh, let's take it from there. Right on. Yeah, live and late breaking here from Chion, Chile. <laughs> Chilling in Chion. Um, yeah, my name is Cade Kritschko. Um, I am a longtime writer and editor in the outdoor space. Uh, I've written for Powder, I've written for Outside. Uh, currently the editor at the Ski Journal, and now even more currently the editor at a new print magazine, uh, more travel based, but still in the uh, I would say active space uh, called Ori Magazine. Okay, we've uh, we've obviously talked about Ski Journal a little bit, but my my question to start this off, I guess, is why why have you committed yourself to so many different things? Like you're teaching, you're writing for all these different publications, you're editing now for two mags. Like how what what is the allure to you still to like keep doing this all the time? And I don't want to say like. I chase shiny things because I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I, I do have a lot of interests and I feel like just by being curious and interested in a lot of stuff, I've picked up a lot of different roles and a lot of different projects that I'm really psyched on. It's not necessarily like a, a necessity thing um, from a livelihood standpoint, which I'm fortunate to say that, but people kind of keep coming to me with these rad projects and I guess I'm, I'm a sucker for trying stuff out and seeing what fits and for better or worse, I'm wearing a lot of hats right now and uh, I did it to myself <laughs> like you and I were talking about earlier, but yeah. um, I think each one kind of complements a different thing, right? Like teaching is different than editing is different than writing. And even though they can fit in one box, uh, it like scratches a different itch for me. So I guess I'm itchy. <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> you're not chasing shiny, you're itchy. That's uh that yeah. is definitely one way to say it. Um what for oh, you, sorry. what do you no, you're right. Um what do you like about the editing side of it versus the writing side of it? Um I honestly never thought I'd be an editor. Uh I loved writing. I did the freelance hustle for 
better part of a decade. I just love chasing stories and, you know, meeting people on the ground where they're at and, and just like learning a ton. Uh, but I kind of fell into editing and realized that it is kind of writing on steroids at some point. Like I get to work with so many different people who have all of these stories and all of these journeys and I get to help them kind of make that into something that the public wants to read or wants to learn from. So I kind of feel like I've taken on this almost like puzzle master role where I have to make all these ideas fit into a single place. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of addicting, dude. Like it's <laughs> you're producing. I'm, I'm, I'm like a movie producer without the pay. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's, it's really cool to help people along that like editorial journey and just like really, you know, get to the meat of what they're doing and experiencing and then making it something that a bigger market and a bigger audience can enjoy too. Um, yeah. It's fun, man. How, from the editorial standpoint, it's like, how do you decide what kind of work gets published? How do you decide like this fits what we're looking for? I, I guess I'm always curious to see because so many mags like ski journal, like ski, mm. like it, everybody puts out good product and they're always like fresh with these ideas. And to a certain point, yes, it's, you know, on the contributors to make a lot of this stuff come to life, but it's you and people like you that kind of make the decision to, you know, decide that it makes the mag. So like, how does that decision-making process work for you? Uh, it's, it's kind of multifaceted. Like I think on some point I have to do my due diligence and pay attention to what's going on. Um, like media literacy, but also just societal literacy is important. Like I'm too old and not that good at hitting rails, but like yeah. <laughs> I need to know who the best park skiers are out there just because I need to be like an authority or a source on that. And a lot of times, like I'll do my research on that but I have to be humble enough to like go and ask some people who's hot right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I get, I think it's like a combination of the two of like really being up on your research, but not being afraid to like ask other people and then cross check them a little bit. And then it kind of works out, man. Like you kind of just start developing this, this roadmap and you try and make sure you're covering all your bases. You don't want to just do park skiing or just do big mountain or, you know, in the sense of like travel, you don't want to just do the West coast. Like you don't want to just do Latin America. Like you want some balance. Um, so that's where like the puzzle pieces come in and you just want something at the end of the day. You're like, Oh, this feels like well-rounded and like everyone's getting their play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> on, on the ski side of things is, I guess it's like, I just wonder how you keep it exciting for yourself mm -hmm. because a lot, I run into this like all the time. It's like, yeah, somebody did something sick. Somebody did a cool trick. Somebody skied this line. And it's like, after a certain point when you're in the media world, you're almost numb to a lot of it. Like very few things stop you and are like, wow. Yeah. How do you like, what actually excites you as far as like putting content out? Like what was the last thing you put out in one of the mags that was like, this is, this is it. This is a thing that I really care about. Mm -hmm. Dude, that is like such an on the nose question and something that I have to debate like every single day. I feel like is yeah. that I grew up 
uh, in New England, like idolizing all these skiers and all these people out in these exotic places doing amazing things. And now I'm dealing with those people on like a business basis all the time. Yeah. Like it's almost like I'm Icarus and I've flown so close to the flame. Yeah. Like how do you keep from getting burned? Like how do you keep from like not being jaded and not, and like still keep that childlike wonder almost of like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. Like this is so cool what these people are doing. This is inspiring. Um, maybe not even inspiring, but this is, you know, messed up and I want to learn more about it. Like just maintain interest. Um, it's, it's hard, man. I think that that's something that you see in our world is the, the shelf life on a ski editor is not that long. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, I'm coming up on four years with the ski journal and looking back on it, I'm the second, second longest tenured editor they've ever had. Yeah. Um, and then you look at powder, uh, similar ski similar. I don't think anyone really lasts more than three years. And I think yeah. that's kind of why is that, um, at some point it does stop being fresh and new. Um, and so the way I kind of deal with that is when it's not ski season, I do the best I can to move as far away from skiing as I can and yeah. like really get that space because otherwise, yeah, it all becomes like one amorphous or like monochrome blob and like stuff starts looking the same. Um, yeah. But, you know, stuff that gets me excited. Uh, I ski at Snoqualmie Pass in Washington and I am super close to Crystal. I'm super close to Baker. I'm super close to Stevens, legendary ski resorts. But you go to Snoqualmie and you're fighting for a parking spot with a bunch of people who just bought sleds at REI down in Seattle. Mm. and people who are seeing snow for the first time and old folks that like are retired and finally you know enjoying tuesdays not at boeing yeah um, or microsoft you know and i find so much energy in that spot dude it's incredible so i feel like i need to like surround myself with not my friends sometimes I feel like <laughs> we're kind of this vacuum you know like we know yeah yeah, yeah. And we can't get as excited about it. And I feed off other people's energy now, dude. Like it's, it's a must for me. So yeah, no, a hundred percent. It's uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things for sure there. Like I think the freshness part of it and getting away from skiing is like a hundred percent relatable to me. Like once we hit like this past March, if you were like, Adam, do you like skiing? I would tell you that skiing is the worst fucking thing in the entire world. And I hate skiing. <laughs> like Isn't that weird. But... Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, but you like obsess yourself with it so much every day, all season when, whether it's good or bad. And like, you just get like locked into the doom scrolling that happens. And it, you know, I'm sure people are listening to this. Like what the fuck are you guys complaining about? But like, I would challenge anybody to go and do this all the time as their job. And see if they don't get bored of a lot of the things that that exist in the space it's just it, it just happens like because it's it's a job but it's also the thing you care about but if you ask me right now if i like skiing i'm like yeah i can't fucking wait to go skiing like it's all it's all i'm thinking about right now but you know a few months ago fuck that shit definitely and i think that's you know it's it's almost like we are seasonal as well like we need that time yeah um yeah. i do want to preface by saying yes we're very lucky to do what we do I do think that like you're the luckiest in the world to do the thing you care about as your job. Like I think that tropes a little bullshit in my opinion, yeah. but um, I feel very fortunate and yeah. I got to ski today, dude. Like 
(laughs) I'm not going to take that for granted. Um, I do want to say that like I skied groomers all day and they were icier than what I've skied at Mount snow or at Sunday river. Yeah. I had a fucking great time. It was so, (laughs) so I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm like a reverse powder snob now. I have no idea. I've come full circle. I, so I was just going to ask you like a full circle question, because I think when you start off in this industry, it's like, yeah, you really care about what's hot, what's new, what's like the next level that things can go to. And I think after you've spent some time in the industry and covering the industry, like what you mentioned before, where you're just in the parking lot with like people who see the see snow for the first time, people who are like experiencing being on the mountain regularly for the first, like those things now are way more interesting to me than the dude that goes and gets a hundred days and just like lives is like sure like that dude's cool all the power to you like do that thing but what gets me excited is like people's first experiences now and it's funny to watch my own perspective i guess and see how that has changed over the course of time because 10 12 years ago if you asked me how much i care about like somebody seeing their first time on like seeing somebody go for their first time on skis i'd be like yeah cool like we'll set you up like have fun whatever Right. But it wouldn't be like an emotional experience for me in any way. And yeah. now that has flipped over completely. Yeah, man. Well, congratulations. It sounds like you graduated. Uh, <laughs> but I also think that it is somewhat cyclical in the sense that I feel like I see younger folks coming up that have a similar fire to what I may have had, uh, you know, not too long ago. And you're like, okay, well, cool. They, they've got my back. Like they've got this covered. I don't need to be this person anymore. Like I can evolve and get to that next place. And like skiing's in good hands, um, which is comforting to know that like the people who came before me that might not no longer be in ski publishing, like there were some bad things that happened within, you know, print media, but also like maybe they're ready to do something else. And maybe they're, they're out there like, scratching that new itch i'm yeah. gonna keep coming back to itches i guess <laughs> just a very habitually itchy person um <laughs> yeah. which which is good i guess yeah, yeah i i think a lot of the stories being told now you're seeing more and more of like telling the personal side of it whether it's people's mm-hmm. first experience or the way that they feel and bringing some emotion back to a lot of the coverage in skiing because we all do it like every publication does it where you're like looking for clickbaity stuff, you're looking for stuff that'll actually like do some numbers, but what resonates with a lot of people and what stories are being told more of, like more of these stories are being told where it's just about the feeling of skiing and the, like the first person perspective that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that a lot. I think that's great. I'm like all for it. Uh, I think the last time we talked, I had just finished up a, a piece with this woman from Afghanistan who yeah. we were going to write it and I just kind of flipped it and asked her to write it. Um, and that first person just gave me so much more insight than I would have if I had just written it myself. Yeah. Um, and she, by the way, made it to Germany and is uh, skiing again. So sick. Her sister's in Italy. They're trying to figure out a way where they can both be together, but that situation's a little complex. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there you go. Proof in the pudding. You let somebody tell their story and um, it goes places and you, you keep following along with them. Um, yeah. I'll still get WhatsApps every now and again, figuring out where she is in the world. And that's been sweet. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
and kind of going back to what I'm pretty excited about the ski journal as far as what we put out since like last year. Uh, I'm not sure if you got to check out this story, but uh, it was about Kristen Norman and Sasha Dingle. They did Nexus movie that was excellent, um, really well done. And they got to kind of expand upon that a little bit with Megan Michelson. And their article was so freaking cool, dude. Like I haven't read... (laughs) All right, I I read that and edited that, and definitely started crying. I was just like, "Holy cow!" Like, basically, their parents were both just they are still sisters. That's how it <laughs> works. Um, but they <laughs> they're refugees from Vietnam, and like one of the last choppers out of Ho Chi Minh, and they started a life in LA as refugees as teenagers. Both separately fell in love with skiers, and like ended up following this path into the mountains, moved away from each other. And the one thing that brought them kind of back together was was skiing. And they ended up living completely different lives and had these daughters who lived completely different lives on opposite coasts, both found skiing in their own way. And then, you know, all of a sudden, the daughters are bringing the moms back to ski. And you're just like, there's just so many layers to something like that, that like, for them, skiing was the American dream. and I mean, I know you can relate to that. We've worked on a story yeah. about your dad and, and what he went through to get to the U.S., but then yeah. also how he found snow. And you're yeah. interviewing me right now, right? We're talking. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how it works, man. Like it's uh, it's a crazy like I would have never I would have never guessed if you were like if you gave me his background and be like, oh, yeah, like this guy's going to own a ski shop and then his kid's going to like do interviews on skiing and like this is going to become their life. Like that would be a that doesn't make any fucking sense to me, you know, on paper. But that's how it worked and that's how it happens. It's it's really cool. And a lot of people have those stories. And I think Mm -hmm. those stories are really interesting to people because they don't make sense on paper. And then when you put them together, you're like, oh, this is all of these things had to happen in order for this to be the way it is. Definitely, dude. And and you mentioned paper, and, and I'm obsessed with paper these days with uh, <laughs> with print, but um, I, I give Nexus a lot of credit for making that story happen in the first place. And they had, I, I believe, six storylines in that movie. <clears throat> it's just so hard to weave that stuff together. And uh, they were so gracious and just saw the opportunity that, like, yes, we told Kristen and Sophie's, uh, or Sasha's story, excuse me. Uh, but with print, you've got a chance to go and really sit down and go a little deeper and take your time with it. And so we had these two complementary pieces that when they were together, you have this way more enriching story. And I thought that was cool to just realize like, oh, there's definitely still value in this print stuff that we're doing. Like we can, we can touch aspects that video can't touch and, and vice versa. So together, I think it became like a much cooler, more uh, fuller piece, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Print. So here's another thing that doesn't maybe make sense on paper mm-hmm. is like magazines and print existing in 2023. Like it, if you look at like the economics of it, like I don't, I don't know that it makes sense, but for some reason, there's been a bit of a resurgence lately on like good quality print stuff. And and I wonder what your take is on that and why you think that it's still, it's still very relevant for people. And it's like still a really big deal. Like if somebody gets published in a magazine, it's like, 
holy fucking shit, like I'm in a magazine, you know, like this is in here. And that's, I just think that that's really cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I just think it comes down to stories, man. Like people, regardless of how we consume them these days, we're still obsessed with stories. Uh, we love to learn about other people, other places, um, even hear about places we know, but in a different context or from a different perspective. And I think print has been able to find a way to, to tell those stories and in a way that offers like a layered approach to it that sometimes you can't get in, in video or you can't, you can get it online, but online just moves so fast that like, it's hard to make through a whole piece. And I don't necessarily think that's why print is having a day um, right now. I think the reason that we're getting this, uh, I don't want to call it like a full resurgence because we're not there yet, but there's a little moment in there. uh, And I think it's because people are tired of the world moving so fast. Uh, I had to create it to vinyls, you know, like vinyls just took over. (laughs) Not that this is fully in line with it, but vinyls just took over CD sales for the first time. Yeah. Um, since CDs came out and obviously CDs are antiquated, but like the point is that vinyls are coming back and there's this like aching, this almost nostalgia for being slow and being intentional and like really, uh, you know, investing in a quality product that isn't as fleeting as like a Spotify. Um, we go to Spotify still don't give up Spotify. Like you want to get your, it's your, you know, your weekly roundup and, and all that. But if you really want to listen to like, you know, a Frank Sinatra on vinyl, you're going to, you're going to pay for it and you're going to have this record player. And it's, it's going to be more of an experience than like going through his discography super fast. Um, yeah. I feel like that experience kind of transfers over to print where if it's a finer print product, people are, are kind of curious again. Uh, yeah. and you're seeing it with, these independent magazines that have been been popping up. I mean, obviously, Mountain Gazette comes to mind. Uh, Trails popped out of the ashes of Backpacker. There's so many good independents outside of the outdoor industry, um, like Victory Journal in Brooklyn. Uh, their stuff's just insane. And there's just it's just like an exciting place to be kind of figuring out that people still have an appetite for this. Yeah. Um, you're not going to put out, you know, like Sports Illustrated might not be having itself a day right now, yeah. but a more niche sports magazine that like combines culture with like fashion and uh, it's just kind of like cool. Uh, yeah. I think it's, people are people are interested in that. I think a lot of these smaller publications that like really focus on the content too are able to hit a very targeted audience, right? It's like people that care about those few specific things, mm-hmm. or they like really care about the quality of the print. They care about the size of the print. They care about the way it looks on their shelf. Like yeah. those things are a great way for people to be really invested. And yeah, like, will you sell as many copies as Vogue? No, but like, you're going to sell a ton to the people that really care. And those people are going to actually hold on to it for a while. And I think I've made this comparison before. It's like when we do episodes about gear or something super specific, Mm -hmm. they'll do 
I don't know, 60% of the downloads of like a regular episode, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'll get twice as many responses, twice as many emails, twice as much feedback because people actually really care about that specific subset of whatever it is that we're doing. And the people that do care, care a lot. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that good print publications have going for them is like, I'll go back and I've like, I'll read an article five times like adventure journal did an article about stoner and like what happened to him and how he disappeared and all this stuff and i've read that article like 10 times you know and it's just like done really really well and that stuff you keep going back to yeah i think that's a super interesting point is that and i think steve casimiro over adventure journal is one of the first to really figure it out and employ it is that you don't need to have the numbers of a of a time magazine in order to survive in this business. What you need is people that are into what you're doing and just keep following along. Like I think loyalty is worth more than numbers in this game. If you create something that people can be loyal to, I really do believe that that is a viable way to survive. Um, You know, a lot of us have figured out ways to survive on zero budget, working for bigger publications. And now we're eliminating that overhead and we're doing it for ourselves. And we know the numbers that we need to survive. We know the numbers we need to like hit our goal. We know the numbers that are aspirational and they're all pretty feasible as long as you create something that people keep wanting to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the quality for some of these mags, like the smaller magazines have, has gone up so much and, I think for a while magazines started to dwindle and that narrative got pushed because there were so many magazines in skiing or otherwise that were just putting out dog shit. Like they were just like recycling content. 50% of the magazine is ads and like people, yeah, that'll work for a few years and like things get hot, but then people get sick of it. Like people want the thing that they came there for and not all that extra stuff that, and if they're going to have the extra stuff, cause like, right, we all need to sell ads. We all need to be able to like make money and profit, whatever. But there's a certain balance, I think, where it's like people have to really want that content and the quality has to be there in order for them to suffer through and be supportive because everybody wants to be supportive until they feel like they don't align anymore. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think keeping keeping your audience in mind at all times and and like knowing who you're writing for is is key. And, and when you're in this indie, almost bootstrap mentality, you're listening a lot, but you're also asking a lot of questions. You know, you're like directly interacting with the people who are buying your magazine. Um, like yesterday I got a, a DM that somebody said, uh, Ori is the name of our magazine, this new, this new travel pub. And I had somebody reach out and be like, my son's name is Ori. And I was like, (laughs) um, that's wild. I did not know that was a viable first name, but <laughs> you're our first, you're our first Ori, you know, and I'm like directly answering this DM at dinner and I'm like, this is cool. Like I have a connection with all these new people and there's yeah. a responsibility that comes with that, but it's also more of like a, man, I can't wait to show you. Like I cannot wait to show you what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, can get lost when you're like, we got to hit this number to get this advertiser. Uh, we got to, you know, we got to make sure we have this in the mag. So the advertiser is happy. Um, you know, we're, we need to find different ways to get like 
a million subscribers and it's just like you start you just lose track of what this whole thing's about which is creating a sick fucking magazine right yeah yeah some people actually care about yeah so let's talk about the one of the main reasons i asked you to come on like what is ori how did this start like give me some backstory like why we're getting a new print publication right now yeah a new print magazine for 2023 are you excited i'm very excited i'm screaming (laughs) (laughs) oh man i did not think i'd be sitting here talking about this right now if you were talking to me in february um but i uh yeah like i said i've been editor of the ski journal for a couple years now i'm still the editor of the ski journal um but i have always been interested in other things um a lot of that based around travel and different communities and um just like stuff off snow and i was looking for a way to kind of tap into that and was skiing down in tahoe with uh mike rogie who you know um editor of the mountain gazette i guess he'd say founding editor because he also made brought that magazine back to life um he kind of like challenged me on a chairlift and was like you won't start a travel magazine right now. And I was like, absolutely not, man. I will not (laughs) start a travel magazine. Um, But I'm going a little out of order here. (laughs) I'm just going to keep going. That's okay. Just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sat on it for a couple months. I came back to him in like early April and was like, hey, what's, what's the deal with this travel magazine thing? Like, is this still something you think I should pursue? And he's, he kind of was like, yeah, man, if, if you do it, like I'll figure out a way, like I'll buy your first ad. And like, basically it was like, I'll support you, you know? Um, and I thought about it. I sat on it for two weeks and I was like, travel, man, that's so broad. Like travel on so many levels, is such a bullshit category. Like it's just, it's top 10 lists. It's, uh, you know, luxury resorts. It's, uh, it just doesn't feel real a lot of the time to a lot of us. Yeah. And, and I've been traveling a lot for, for work over the past decade. And, and I always work with these fixers in these places. Like I go to China or I go to Spain or I go to Lebanon and I have these people take care of me while I'm there that are so knowledgeable. And, um, a lot of them are like working journalists or, you know, photographers or they're storytellers and they're hyped to meet me and it's great. And then I leave and I write about it and I collect my check and I move on to the next story. And I feel like that's the way a lot of the travel industry works. It's very uh, extractional. It's very like parachute in 36 hours, get the story, get out. And, and then it's, it's your perspective. It's your experience. It's kind of about you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what if we flip that? And like, instead of working with the stringer, like I hire the stringer, I hire this guy to write my story for me. Like, let's get a travel magazine told by locals. Yeah. And that's where Ori comes from. And we are a print travel and culture magazine that is basically working with local journalists in the places that we visit to tell stories that inspire us to go visit, but also to participate, like go and have this experience and like, go say hi to Miguel working the taco shop in Guatemala city. Like, don't just like go there and talk about how awesome and rad your trip was like, 
get somebody's Instagram while you're down there. Like, don't just see the world, be a part of it is what we keep saying. Um, and the more I started thinking about it, the more I was like, wow, travel's kind of, and especially travel writing is kind of colonialist, you know, like we, we go into these places, we take the riches of this experience (laughs) and then we make money off of it somewhere else. And it's like, damn, this is kind of backwards. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And I'm, I'm guilty of it, man. Like I made a career out of traveling these places and telling these stories. Um, I try and be as, as intentional about it as I can be, but could I be doing something more that like uplifts and also just like gets people on the other side as a reader, like excited and, and inspired to go like meet these people and and learn and grow and, and have a good freaking time somewhere aside from like an all you can eat resort. Is it all you can eat resort? I think it's all inclusive. I don't think they call it all you can eat. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it's a lot of time at the resorts. Yeah, all you can eat is Golden Corral or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like that's the spot. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was told the resort was growing up. So I guess I got yeah. the wrong. <laughs> that was vacation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same, same for sure. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I finally, when that concept kind of came into being, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, this could be cool. Like, maybe there is a travel magazine we could do. And, I think what we've put together right now is kind of a mix of National Geographic meets Vice meets Airbnb experiences. Like if you can imagine those getting married together, we're like going to inform, we're going to excite and shock people a little bit, but we're also going to tell them like, hey, this is doable. Like anybody can go and have this as long as like you go in knowing this before you go. Yeah. Um, and and it's been cool. Um we still didn't feel like that was enough of a concept. So just this idea full circle kept spinning in my head. And, and I've been a freelancer for a long time and you've hustled a lot doing what you do. And you know that like there's these great ideas and these great projects that you want to work on and you try and convince an editor or a sponsor or an advertiser, like, Hey, believe in me, like invest in me and I will kick out something so badass, Like you, you're going to get more than your money's worth. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know, man, like go do it and then come back to us and we can make something happen. And you're like, that's awesome. But like, I'm broke, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, and you just let that story go. And I'm frustrated with that. And I think there's a way to do it better. And the way we've kind of thought up a way to potentially solve a piece of that is we're creating a, a grant that's associated with the magazine um, where essentially every subscriber, their subscription, 2% of that subscription gets peeled off and put in our creative grant. Mm-hmm. It's called the Ori creative grant. And it's just this pool of money that keeps building and building uh, with our subscription base. And then once that first issue drops, we're going to wait a couple of months while people read through the magazine. But then we're coming back to subscribers and we're like, Hey, what did you like in this magazine? What was your favorite piece and why? And when we get results from that, our highest ranking article, we're going to give that grant money to that contributor uh, to fund the next project. No questions asked. They can use that to, you know, directly travel for their next piece. 
They can use that to pay their bills. They can use that to get groceries because every single dollar that those people earn is going back into their business, is going back into telling stories. And uh, in that way, I want to create some buy-in from our subscribers. Like, I want our subscribers to be part of this. Um, yeah, We are pooling the money, but they're deciding on who this goes to and what stories they like and what they want to see in the future, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, I think it's a great, it was actually like one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about was the grant because I think it's a really, it's a creative way to get people that are doing a really good job paid and it's incentivizing and it also like, like you said, it engages the subscriber base and that a lot of times when people subscribe to something, they don't feel that connected to it, even if they really like it. Mm-hmm. It just becomes a thing that they're like, they don't really think about it shows up and they read through it and they move on. And I think this is a way to kind of keep people actively thinking about not just the mag, but the people that are writing these stories. Yeah. And I don't want to be a chore man. And I don't want to get on like a high horse and be like, you need to subscribe yeah. this magazine to make the world a better place. Like, yeah, no, it's going to be a kick-ass travel magazine. Like you are gonna enjoy it as a magazine. It's just this, enjoy it and situation where yeah yeah what i'm the dream for me dude honestly is okay we get a lot of subscriber input we award this uh grant to to a working journalist somewhere in the world and they go on and they have a career you know they go on and they write for the guardian they go on and they write for the new york times they don't need to come back to ori but they keep telling these stories And then someday you just kind of hope like maybe it comes full circle and they come back our way and, uh, you know, they want to write something for us in the twilight of their career after they've gone and made it, you know, Uh, that would be rad. And, and at the very least, if somebody's voting for this person who wins a creative grant, they're going to follow that writer on Instagram. They're going to follow that writer on TikTok. They're going to know where they produce their next piece and maybe, they're going to be a reader for life of that person, not necessarily our magazine, but like follow these creators, like support these people who are putting this stuff together. And yeah. uh, it's just going to make for better stories, dude. Like it'll, it'll help these people develop and evolve. And, and like, I'm stoked to see where they go from, from us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it feels like a grant that was created by somebody who writes, you know, like it feels like it was a grant created by people that actually kind of know what that struggle is like to try to get stuff put out there to try to make ends meet to try to make a little money doing this thing that you really care about that doesn't always pay, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. I, I've got stories. Uh, I, I remember very early in my career, like having these great ideas and realizing that there was no way someone was going to take a chance on what I was doing, but that I thought they'd buy it afterwards. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have some sort of base, but I still spend an entire summer. I think, yeah, an entire summer. Oh man, this group is <laughs> blowing me up right now. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, spent an entire summer living in a tent in my friend's yard because I didn't I didn't want to pay rent so I could save money to go buy a ticket to Columbia for the World Cup to write some stories for Vice. Uh, and I actively made that call. I was like, they're not going to pay for me to go down there. 
Uh, they want the story, but only if I get myself down there. Vice was a huge name at the time. And I was, you know, going through the invisible checkbook that had zero dollars in it. And I was like, I got to find a way to make money quickly. And I gave up my apartment and I lived in the tent. I got yelled at by a neighbor a couple of times and I went to Columbia and I wrote this story and I came back and sold it to Vice and they published it. And that led to the next gig and that kept me in it. Um, but I had the fortunate thing of not having, you know, a wife and kids at that point in time or not having to really pay a mortgage. Like I was able to do that and it still sucked. Uh, and I feel like I developed this like chip on my shoulder that I was like, you know what? I know my stories are good and I'm going to find a way to tell them. But it, it was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of grinding, man. Like people definitely think I'm a total dirtbag, uh, and there are other reasons for that, but I think one of them is that I, I'll go through a whole lot to tell these stories and almost go into debt to do it. Um, cause I think they're worth it. And I would love to hear that somebody didn't have to do that. Um, yeah. and I, yeah, so I would say that, yeah, this is a project kind of born from frustration, but instead of being pissed off about it, I, I think there's like a positive way to make this better. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. This is awesome. I, do you, do you have advice for someone that is starting their career and trying to make this kind of thing happen? Because like that, some people really just want to write and they want to get their story told. And like, although here is like, Oh yeah, you just got to hustle. You just got to hustle. You just got to make right. it happen. You just got to do that. And like, yeah, while that might be true, not necessarily like it, it's not advice. It's not helpful. Like these people are right. still kind of out on their own with that. You know, mm -hmm. people don't even know what that means. Like you tell someone to go hustle. They're like, what the fuck did, like, hustle towards what? Like, how do I even, how do I even start to hustle? How do I even totally. think about it like that? You know? Yeah, no, you're right. The hustle I get, I think gets conflated and romanticized uh, a lot. Um, I think, you know, very basic steps is don't give up your day job. Like that's a real one. Um, find other ways to make enough money that you can have space for this creativity. Um, sadly, you know, we do live in a society that, that runs and lives and dies by the dollar. So like, don't die because you're too proud to do, you know, menial work for a little bit in order to fund something you really care about. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any straight lines in this, man. Like I've talked with, I, I teach a journalism class at Northeastern and I talk with my kids. I bring in working journalists a lot um, and ask them how they got to where they are. And, you know, I had Heather Hansman on a Zoom call last week talking about, you know, how many different other jobs she has to do to write these big stories and these big books. And she's in a place now where she can fully survive off of journalism and storytelling. But that came with a lot of like, she was a raft guide. She worked in restaurants. She like did that other stuff and, and kept the lights on. Um, I had an ESPN guy come in and basically tell me he worked at a bookshop for, for years while he was fact checking other people's work at ESPN and yeah. then got the call and just stayed in it long enough that he was able to make it a thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, I guess advice wise, like there's no one way to skin a cat. 
like there's it's just like keep writing <laughs> but yeah do it in a way that you can you can have a roof over your head and you can survive um I think yeah. that's kind of the advice though. You know what I mean? Like I think people, sometimes people see people doing these things or writing and they're like, how do you afford to do this? Like that question doesn't even right. get asked verbally enough. I don't think, I think it gets asked yeah. inside someone's head. It's like, oh, this person's so lucky. This person's that this person's this, but like the best advice I could give someone that wanted to start their own thing is like, yeah, you have to have a job, but like get a job where you have the freedom to go work on, your own stuff as much as you possibly can so that you're happy. Like don't, don't lock yourself to one particular thing and then, and then ruin your life over it or be disappointed that you didn't go chase something. I think there's a, there's a really, there is a way to get a job, work a job and still follow the thing that you want to do. And if eventually that becomes your actual gig, then great. That's awesome. Right. Adam, your case in point, right? Like you're, you're yeah. balancing a lot of stuff right now to have this conversation with me. Yeah. Um, I hope this isn't the dream, by the way, I think you can do better, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I, I, it's, you know, what's funny is like, now I'm like pretty, I'm happy with where things are. And, but like the second you get a little happy with things, you're like looking to the next thing. And that's like exactly where I'm at right now. But I yeah. think it's because when this was starting, I was so, I was working 60 hours a week in the ski shop and I was doing this every other free hour that I had. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. it wasn't like I just had the time or the money or the resources to do any of this shit without just like, I had to, I had rent to pay. I had mortgage to pay. I had all this stuff go on, mm -hmm. but it was the freedom and like the fact that I actually wanted to do something like this, that, that allowed me to go do anything, you know? And I think yeah. that's where people get hung up sometimes is they work a job and they're like, fuck, I got to go to this shitty job again versus like looking at the shitty job as a means to an end for whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And you know, that, that end goal of freedom is worth a lot of sacrifice. Like right now I'm, I'm teaching at, at Northeastern. I'm also managing the magazine at Ski Journal. I I write copy in my free time as well, you know? And that is all letting me pursue this new magazine project that I'm really excited about and I really believe in to the point where, you know, I'm willing I'm willing to do that other stuff. Um, those jobs are great. I've worked way shittier jobs to get to those positions, but yeah. like now each thing is a stepping stone. Like, yeah, I've done a lot of catering jobs, you know, and, and those led to more permanent writing jobs that led to this editor job that now I have a, a platform to take another creative chance. And similar to what you said is like the what's next for me this this Ori project is what's next. And, uh, if I'm going to do this, I, I really want to lift as I climb. Like, I feel like there's a chance to take people with me and that's exciting, man. Like the, we're super young. We launched and I don't even know if we call it launch because our first issue comes out in November. Um, yeah. but we have let people know we're a thing, uh, as of a month ago and we're taking subscriptions and you know, that stuff's in motion, but even this early on, uh, the contributors that I'm talking with are so excited to be a part of this. Um, I almost call it a project rather than a publication. It's just like, it feels like a social project that we're seeing, we're actively learning how this thing can work as we go. Yeah. And, um, 
just the feedback, the buy-in from like world-class journalists and photojournalists and illustrators, they're like all on board. So to, to get that feedback when I sometimes, you know, doubt starting a print publication in 2023, yeah, it, it lets me know we're on to something. Um, and we'll see, you know, like I'm quietly confident, uh, but it could crash and burn. And even so, I think that the feedback makes trying worth it, you know? Yeah. What, so you look at this now, it's been a month or whatever since people have known that you guys are a thing. Yeah. You look six months down the line, you look a year down the line, two years down the line, which try not to do that often because you never know what is going to happen. But like looking at it through that lens, what does success look like for you for the mag? Uh, Success for the mag is growing the grant, um, which I see is very feasible, but we are like fully a subscription based model. Uh, We are hoping to rely strictly on (coughs) subs to keep us, you know, above water. But with the rising subscriptions, we get to add more money to that pot. Um, And I think if we are able to pay more with the creative grant than we are with the actual payment we are paying our subscribers or our our contributors now, I think that's a huge win. Which, by the way, I should have prefaced with that. We are paying our... (laughs) it's not like it's not a lottery you're getting a lottery dude if you win you win right no we're paying everybody uh, a solid wage and then this is like a christmas bonus that just doesn't exist in journalism dude like no one gets a christmas bonus so we're offering two christmas bonuses a year essentially and um i think success for me would would be to be financially feasible but it would be to have that number eclipse what we're paying our our contributors Um, which numbers wise isn't that far off um yeah i think we need probably two years to get there but we could hit it in one year if if people jump off this podcast and every single person subscribes we might (laughs) you might just get there i hope so i hope that's what people do um yeah dude i think it's awesome I'm psyched that you guys are making it happen. And I think it's, I think it's necessary. I think it's a thing that people actually want. I think it's worth, it's worth the money. It's worth the money. It's worth the time for people to actually give it. Mm, I I hope so, man. And I mean, it'll be fun to read. There's going to be more to it than that. We've got some build out from, we're only print for the record. Um, We're not doing digital. Uh, We're doing, you know, we've, we've got plenty of digital content, but it will not be an overlap from what you get with the mag. So there is a relative exclusivity there um, because we want, we want people to hang around for a little bit. And like I said, we're, we're anti-scroll culture right now. We're calling ourselves the slow read movement, um, which is a play off the slow food movement of really intentionally finding your ingredients, knowing where they come from, knowing everything that goes into making what you're producing and like enjoying that over a long period of time. Uh, in our case, six months in between issues, right? We're putting out two a year because um, we want people to get through them. Uh, I cannot tell you how many people subscribe to the New Yorker that are in my circle of friends 
and how many basically free subscriptions the New Yorker I have because they can't finish reading the things before the next one comes. <laughs> yeah, or there's just too much and they just don't read it, right? Like there's yeah. if there's too much, it's not a good thing either. I dude, I have that debate with this all the time. I'm like, should I just put out one a month? You know what I mean? Like yeah. one every week is like that's it's fifty two episodes a year. It's like that's a lot of time you're asking people to commit to and like does the quality go down? Is it worth doing? I, I don't know. And that's like a thing that I, I really appreciate about the way that you do the mag, the way that a lot of people are doing it now where they're like, they're simplifying it. It's like, this is what you get. You get it twice a year. And it's something you actually can look forward to during that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the aim, man. Again, um, I hope others see it that way, but as somebody who's been really ingesting magazines and breathing magazines for a while now, it, feels good. It feels like the appropriate amount of time to really get into something and enjoy it and kind of create our own demand, like have people looking forward to the next issue. Like I'm already looking forward to the second issue. Like I'm ready to get going on this thing. Um, and I want that to be the feeling across the board. I don't want people to feel like, Oh, that was, that was cool for a year, but like I didn't really finish it anyways, or I didn't really get through it anyways. So like, I'll just, I'll just read what I got now. And like, we don't really need to pay attention to it after beyond like a year. I'm yeah. I want people to, again, participate. Cause that's a big part of this. Um, and enjoy it. Like world's a big place, dude. Like coming from skiing, I feel like it's wide open and there's so many things to explore that I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm the pitches I'm getting right now. Like mind blowing. It's so cool. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. We, we need a bigger mag. I think they said that in Jaws, right? Is that <laughs> probably? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm I'm psyched. I think it's I think it's going to be a great thing, and uh, and I think people will really appreciate it. So, I I guess my last question then is: Where do people get the mag? How do they subscribe? Where where can they find it? And like, if you're giving people a pitch for, not that the last. 15 minutes is not a pitch for buying the mag, but like why, why should people give a shit? I guess all the things. Um, well, let's start with the nuts and bolts. So we're at orimag.com, but that is O R I hyphen M A G.com. Um, we're also on Instagram at Ori underscore magazine. And both of those things will lead you to our subscription page. We'll tell a little bit more about what we're doing. We got some testimonials already from people we're working with. So you can get an idea of what might be in that first mag without giving too much away. Um, and it explains the grant if I really, you know, fucked up and didn't get my point across. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's, that's the easiest way to communicate with us. We're going to have a weekly newsletter for everybody who signs up for it. Definitely uh do that that's on the site as well um and then i forgot the rest of the question what were we to oh my elevator pitch right yeah literally like the why yeah, why, the why do people if this has not sold people why are they subscribing to a new print mag yeah i just i i think that there's still room for good stories in the travel space yeah. and that it's going to be so rad to hear from new voices to get those stories out into the world. And um, we're going to be different. Like you are not going to get a top 10 list from us. You 
are going to read actual stories that are fun to read and inspire you to create your own experience. Uh, we can help you along the way, but like, this is about you guys. Uh, and I think this is a way to finally, you know, help a couple people over the hump and realize it's not as scary of a world as we've been told to believe. Like, obviously there are very nasty things that are happening and uh, we're not going to shy away from nasty things and, and big issues. Uh, but we're also going to celebrate the good parts of life. You know, like the, we live in such a vibrant and, and beautiful world. I truly do believe that I'm not just being idealistic. I just think <laughs> that there's, there's a lot to discover, explore and enjoy. And like, we're at the age, we're at the income level, we can, we can do that. And yeah. here's, here's how and come with us. And, um, if there's something we're missing, we want to know about it too, because that's just going to make us better. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's so much out there right now, like travel is such a big space that mm -hmm. it's almost like so muddy for a lot of people. It's like, you want to go to somewhere, you want to like learn about stuff that goes on in a certain place. It's really hard to find that like, mm -hmm. and like, or find what's good, find what's good advice. So I think to be able to have like a trusted source from people who like are living it and actually give a shit, I think is a really cool thing too. Like people now have a resource to be able to conceptualize what their trips might look like, what their experiences might look like and, and kind of feel for what other people go through. Definitely, man. And like, just to add a little bit to the travel space being a murky one, I don't think we're going to take over the game and we're not, we're not aiming to do that. Um, you know, you have, and afar though, and they are somebody everybody looks up to in, in the travel space. And we're basically just trying to be the up close. They can be afar. We're going to get a little closer to it. We're going to uh, really just try and make this an approachable thing for people um, in a way that isn't handholding. Like we want to give our subscribers and our audience benefit of the doubt. We know we're dealing with smart people. We're dealing with adventurous people we're dealing with people who are curious um and we're just trying to show you what's out there because i feel like the more you know the better you travel and that's my opinion on things i love that <clears throat> and i think that's a great way to end it so i appreciate the time very much i appreciate you taking the time out of being in a beautiful place to sit in front of a screen and talk to me about this but it's uh <laughs> it, it's awesome and i hope people actually do go and subscribe <laughs> Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to see what comes of it and, and what people think. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and also for subscribing, dude. That was that's really cool. Yeah, no doubt.